Um, we're in James chapter 1 still. Hopefully we'll get through it today. Um, but we, in, the, in the midst of talking about this, we went from wisdom last week, the importance of where wisdom comes from, that wisdom comes from God. If you need wisdom, then probably the best thing to do is do what Luke was saying, was to know him. Know him and ask him for wisdom, and he will teach you. Wisdom's a little bit different than knowledge. But then all of a sudden, James in his letter to the church, this is the church that is around Jerusalem, they're going through a hard time. We lost 3,500 points in the stock market this week, and everybody's kind of freaking out about that. But uh, these guys, they're dealing with poverty at the lowest level. And so they're struggling and they're trying to figure out how to make things work. And so he moves from wisdom really to confronting the, the poverty that they're having to deal with. Uh, just think about this for a second. Um, where, wherever wisdom is the goal, probably hearing will be the first virtue. And I say that because this leads into the passage of Scripture that we are at at this point, and that is verse 19 of chapter 1. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Mm. You see, <laughs> that, that speaks to the pastor-teacher person right there. My brothers and sisters, understand this. I wish that I could cause you to understand this, but I, as a teacher, realize that's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job to do that, to cause you to understand this. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So now he's saying, dear brothers and sisters, it's this small group of Jewish Christians who've come to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. Yet they're being opposed by a group of Jews that have a different mindset. And let, me, let me put that different mindset in the context. When Jesus did specific miracles that couldn't be done by the rest of the Pharisees or priests, he was accused at one point by the Pharisees, of doing these miracles under the spirit and the power of Beelzebub to his face. They said, you're wicked and you are doing wicked things. And in Matthew 12, verse 31, 32, it says this, Therefore I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the one to come. When they said to Jesus' face, You're doing this under the spirit of Beelzebub, under the devil. He says, You have just blasphemed the Spirit. You can't blaspheme the Spirit today because you're not face-to-face -face with Jesus. 
This was something only they could do at this point. People say, well, what sin is not covered then? The only sin that's not covered is the sin of unbelief. You're just not believing that Jesus is the Messiah. But this blasphemy was done by a group of Jews, leadership Jews, to Jesus' face. And so he says, you're not going to hear this, nor will the generation after you hear this. So now I say that because you have to know the context of who James is talking to. He's talking to a group of Jews that believe Jesus is the Messiah. So obviously they could come to see Jesus as the Messiah. But the majority of them didn't because they were listening to their leadership of the Pharisees who were now blinded from the truth because of their blaspheming the Spirit. Does this make sense? And so now those that can't see the truth are coming after those who did see the truth. Two generations of Jews would not be able to hear the truth. If Jesus died, was crucified around 30 AD, 40 years being two generations at that point, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. You with me? 40 years from 30 AD to 70 AD. So imagine trying to have a discussion with a, a person who can't hear what you're trying to say. No, no matter how simple you make it, James is trying to make it here, there's a group of people that are not going to hear what he has to say. But having brothers and sisters that can hear it, when he teaches this, it's a, it's a huge deal. Uh, re- religious works may be manufactured, but they don't have life in them. It sounds like I I just switched gears there, and I did. Uh, But they don't bring glory to God. And what James is trying to say here as he gets into these last few verses of chapter 1, he's talking about producing fruit. And this is where uh, I think some of you in the room are kind of excited because James comes across as a very legalistic letter that this is, if you're a believer, then this is what you should be doing. And the church has taken that and twisted it into religion and basically said, this is the way that you're supposed to behave because you're a Christian. This is your responsibility. These are your duties. These are your, and uh, James gets a bad rap for that because of the way it's been interpreted. But I think that you would understand that real fruit has seed in it. So when fruit is produced, then that seed is produced and the harvest continues to grow. It will continue to spread because seed is in the fruit. So you do fruit, there's more seed to it, and it begins to filter out. One who is listening rather than uh lambasting is the one who is slow to anger. Romans, Paul says in Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Proverbs 
10.19, Solomon says, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. He also says in 17.27, the one who has knowledge restrains his words. Now let's think about this. Uh, in the garden, garden of Gethsemane, Peter, Peter, he was the impulsive guy, right? And he was slow to hear, he was slow to hear Jesus said, hey, I got this. But he was swift to speak and swift to anger and swift with his sword and almost killed a man with his sword. Took his ear right off. Let's say this. One, one may not be able to control their emotion of anger, but you do have the ability to control your tongue and your actions. I, I get it that you can't help when you get angry. You may be able to impact that anger based upon what you know is true. Uh, but sometimes the anger just boils up. You still have the ability to make a decision of what your actions are going to be from that emotion of anger. Uh, there's, a, there's a fine line between... Anger and passion, too. Like, you can be very passionate. Uh, sometimes you will get on the edge of the stage and, and you'll get in people's faces and you will talk very firmly and very loudly and it can seem like they're angry with you, but very passion. Stephan, uh, Yesterday was a fun day for you. Uh, he coached in the 2A girls basketball game. But it was a tough day. I sat right behind him. Michelle and I sat right behind him and uh, just watched him the whole game. Uh, his girls were taking a licking, but uh, just the way that he spoke to them, didn't get angry, very calm. But there was also the times when the timeout came and he was very passionate about how he approached his girls. You could see him coaching. So there's this, there's a lot of emotion there. There was, there was a lot of emotion in that arena yesterday. And uh, to be able to discern when to get angry, a righteous angry, when to have passion... Sometimes it can be misinterpreted, but I thought that you set an ex excellent example for those there that were present. Um, and then he, he speaks, he, he concludes that verse with righteousness. Righteousness, you have to ask the question, is this behavioral acts or uh, is it really just a state of being? We The church has always talked about righteousness being things that we do. But in here, as Luke was saying, righteousness is who we are. It's our, our identity. And when we understand our identity, it leads to things that we do. Verse 21, it says, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is good stuff right here. That verse right there can quickly be interpreted as it's your works that save you. 
just hear me. It's not your works that save you. It's your faith and your faith alone that save you. You believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Messiah that came and forgave all sins, and understanding what he did on the cross, and that he's totally forgiven you. And uh, it says in Jeremiah, it says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? That's how you were born. You were born with a heart of stone. It was a sinful nature that you were born with. But watch this. There was another prophet that followed up behind Jeremiah, and his name was Ezekiel, and he said this in verse 36. He says, I will give you a new heart. He's talking about the Lord, prophesying what the Lord is going to say. I will give you a new heart. You were born with a wicked heart, a deceitful heart, but I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This is what was to come. He was prophesying what was to come, which was when Jesus died on the cross. He says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statues and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your fathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. He's talking to the Jews here. He says, I will summon the grain and make it plentiful and I will not bring famine on you. I will also make the fruit of the trees and the produce of the field plentiful so that you will no longer experience reproach among the nations on account of famine. You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and detestable practices. He's literally saying in the old covenant these Jews had, had developed these rituals and these traditions and everything else and they would keep walking away from God and depend upon their own strength and then God would bring famine on them and all of a sudden they would repent, confess and repent of their sin and they would turn around and say, okay, God, we, we're sorry. And God would be, all right, we'll restore everything again. And they would just keep repeating this cycle over and over and over. Then Jesus came and said, enough of that, I'll do this for you. You guys have proved that you can't do this. I'll do it for you. And so literally what he's done here is he's taken the heart of stone out, which didn't happen until Jesus died on the cross. So all those people in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant didn't get to experience what you in this room have experienced. The moment that you believed, there was a transformation that took place in your life of him removing your heart of stone, your sinful nature, and he replaced it with a heart of flesh and made you a new creation who is wholly redeemed and forgiven, not because of anything that you did, because of what he did. One amen. I hope you got a warm, fuzzy feeling out of that. Because he has made you new. He has made you whole. That is who you are. It is not based upon what you do. It's really not based upon what you do. I don't care what you do. I care about who you are. And if you can figure out who you are, it will greatly impact what you do.
how we we had a uh, this high school students at my house on Wednesday night. We were talking about sin and obedience, and um, Keith asked a question. He's like, well, "What are you being obedient to?" And it it took me a second to respond because um, I I think it's so ingrained to me now. I didn't even know how to respond to that. But the only thing that I'm obedient to is the spirit inside of me. I'm not obedient to a book of laws. I'm obedient to uh, the spirit inside of me. I still have habits like I get up and do this routine every Sunday. I have habits. Not all habits are bad. But obedience to the Spirit, that's what matters. He says, the implanted word. Okay, what is the implanted word? Your implanted word saves you. Well, people again go, okay, well, it's the Bible that saves you. Live by the word, da, da, da. Let's go to John 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is implanted in me. It's implanted in me. The word, Jesus being the word, is implanted in me. Verse 22, here, here watch this. This was our, I was in a fraternity of brothers in college. And this was our verse. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only because we were a group of men that were all about the service. It wasn't until later in my life that I understood it a little bit differently. But be doers of the word. What's the word? It's Jesus. Not this. That didn't get him anywhere. Jesus is what gets you somewhere. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. I would believe that James' audience when he's writing this probably was in a place of public worship as they were reading this letter together. And I believe that uh, believers have become skilled at sitting in the pews on Sunday mornings, the chairs on Sunday morning, and never experience a life that Jesus intended for them. Uh, we did my, my favorite quote uh, from some layperson was in 2005 when Katrina hit, we went down uh, and did disaster relief and we would work all day and then we'd come and have a, a service and people would share at night. But one lady got up and she says, I realized after sitting in my pews uh, all these years that I had become spiritually constipated. <laughs> so I came to help. I believe that's what uh, a lot of the church has become. Just spiritually constipated they haven't figured out that Jesus is the word and is alive and well in them and he will direct them all the days of their life verse 23 it says because if anyone is a hearer of the word a hearer of Jesus and not a doer he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror now that can come across as condemning 
if you're not doing something, then shame on you. That's the way it's interpreted by many people. But wait a second. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. You look in a mirror, this man looks in a mirror, and he sees something about himself, but he doesn't do anything in return. He just walks away. It's like checking your identity briefly and walking away from it. Quickly forgetting who you are. You, that's, that's the evil one's scheme for us as believers is for you to forget your identity in Jesus Christ. He wants your identity to be in something else. Your work, your school, whatever you're doing, your hobby, your, your family. That's what he wants your identity to be in. The evil one. And so this, he's relating, this man just checks himself in the mirror and sees the issue, but walks on. But if you know your identity, you're going to remember it. And here, it's, it's really all we talk about. One of the things that I love to show you is this, and I've showed it several times, but some of you are new, so I'm going to show it to you one more time. You ready? Here it is. This this was revealing to me. I was actually at a Pacers game, and I think Rhonda Cooper was the one that like showed me this for the very first time years ago. She said, "Rusty, do you see that that arrow in FedEx?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Just says FedEx. How many of you see the arrow in FedEx? How many of you don't see the arrow in FedEx? Go ahead. It's okay. You don't see it. You don't see it. Let me show you the arrow in FedEx. That arrow was intentional by FedEx. And now that you have seen the arrow, you will see the FedEx sign every day this week about a hundred times. And whoever you're with, you will say, do you see the arrow? You will point out that arrow to them and you will do that for a long time. It's the same way with your identity. If you figure out your identity, if you ever get to the point where you can see this because he's revealed it to you, not because I revealed it to you, but because he's revealed it to you, all of a sudden you're telling everybody about your identity in Jesus Christ. We said when we started this ministry that we were going to do crisis intervention. I said, I'm going to do crisis intervention. And everybody looked at me and go, that's good for you. But the Lord was saying to me, teach them our identity and they will do, they will do crisis intervention. And that's what happens in this room. It's crazy, but it's so cool. If you just read the Bible to people and teach them about their identity, amazing things will happen. Fruit will be grown. And the seeds from that fruit will continue on and it goes that way. I don't have to sit here and say, hey, you need to get up at 6 o'clock and read your Bible and memorize the scripture and do this and pray and have your prayer list. And it's not that work. The Lord may lead you to do that. The Spirit may lead you to do that. But for me to sit here and say, that's what a good Christian looks like? Mm. 
that would not be the message that James is portraying here. <laughs> Verse 25 says, But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Like, uh, I don't ever buy a, a, a new car. In fact, uh, today, uh, Michelle and I are empty nesters. Uh, just the two of us live at home, but we have four cars here today in the parking lot. <laughs> it's kind of funny. For some reason, I own four cars, but uh, families in here are borrowing them. <laughs> so we have four cars here today. But I buy, like, used cars, and when I look at a used car, it's not like buying a new car. I have to look at it intently. I have to look underneath it. I have to call, call Troy. Troy, what do you think? I have, to, I have to, like, get under the hood, look at it, check it all out, inspect it. If it's a new car, don't worry about it. You just buy a new car, and it has a warranty. And this is really what he's saying right here is, You've got to stoop down and study this thing. Study this identity thing. It says it's the perfect law of freedom. There's no capital L in there. It's not like the law of the old covenant. This is the law of freedom. This is the good news. Christians are just weary of sharing their faith with non-believers because they've been taught to teach them the law. Why would I want to teach that to somebody? Or I've even interpreted James as the law when he clearly saying, we're free. You're free. It says right there, into the perfect law of freedom. Why are they blessed? Not because of things received, not even joy for what they have done, but blessed because of what they have in Jesus Christ what they know, and what God has already done in them and you. Verse 26, two verses left. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Religious. That's just kind of like the external observations there. You realize religion, the definition of religion has changed. It used to be a very good thing. Now it's kind of like, a bad thing. Like, uh, society doesn't want religion. And honestly, today, if somebody calls me religious, it kind of bothers me because I don't feel like I'm a religious person. I, I'm a believer. I love Jesus. I love studying, but don't call me a religious person. The, 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 that term is kind of changed in our society. He's, I believe that Satan has crafted a war on religion, the word religion. Think about this. If the heart is right, what James is saying, if the heart is right, the speech will be right. Jesus said in Matthew 12, when he's still talking to the Pharisees, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Remember, our heart's been changed. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. 
if you have a sinful nature, if you have a heart of stone, I would expect you to say evil things. But if you've been made perfect, if you've been made holy, if you've been redeemed, if you've been forgiven, I would expect you to speak good. And this is all James is saying here. I read to you a, a quote from Tozer last week. Let me read another one because uh, he, he, he does so good with the book of James. It says, When religion loses its sovereign character and becomes mere form, this spontaneity is lost also. And in its place come precedent, propriety, system, and the file card mentality. Here's how the file card works when it gets into the Christian life and begins to create mental habits. It divides the Bible into sections fitted to the days of the year and compels the Christian to read according to rule. I'm sorry if you do that. No matter what the Holy Spirit may be trying to say to a man, still he goes on reading where the card tells him, dutifully checking it off each day. Every spirit-led saint knows that there are times when he is held by an inward pressure to one chapter or even one verse for days at a time while he wrestles with God till some truth does its work within him. To leave the present passage to follow a prearranged reading schedule is for him wholly impossible. Watch this. This is yesterday was leap year. And Bob Goff did a devotional book this last year. And someone said, um, excuse me, Bob Goff, it's February 29th. What am I supposed to do today? He didn't do a devotional for February 29th. And literally they were lost, like, how am I supposed to have my devotion today if you didn't And that is where we are. He, Tozer continues, he says, he is in the hand of the free spirit and reality is appearing before him to break and humble and lift and liberate and cheer. But only the free soul can know the glory of this. To this heart bound by system will be forever be a stranger. Like you were intended to be free. You can read the Bible on your own. I'm okay if you do a devotional, but don't be so legalistic about it. The Spirit wants to show you something besides what Bob Goff or whoever wrote the devotional is wanting to show you. Verse 27, it says this. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Oh, man, now, now James has said, if you don't do this, then you're not a good Christian. No, that's not what he said. It's not what he said. He's like, you can play your religious games, but if you really want to know what it looks like, in the midst of the poverty that they were dealing with at their time. Men were the general workers outside and either bartered or had an income that provided for the family. And if they died early because of disease, and they did die early back in those days, the widows, or even if the mother died early, the orphans needed help. And so today, 2020, 
little different context. But it's the same issue. I think literally God is showing us his heart. Take care of the widows and the orphans. In Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 29 it says this. Then the Levite who has no portion or inheritance among you. The resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow within your city gates may come, eat, and be satisfied. And the Lord God will bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. That's Old Covenant. It's Old Covenant. You do this, the Lord will bless you. But what does that say when you read the Old Testament, the Old Covenant? That's the heart of my God. That's the heart of my Father. This is important to Him. It's important to Him. Ezekiel 22.7 says, Father and mother are treated with contempt, and the resident alien is exploited within you. The fatherless and widow are oppressed in you. And then, even in Acts, now Acts chapter 6, verse 1, this is after the cross. This is now in the New Covenant. It says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Oh, wait, you read Old Covenant, and it was important for God there, but now they're even, Luke's even saying in Acts that it's important after the cross to take care of the widows and the orphans. That last part of verse 27, it says, in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How do you keep yourself unstained from the world. This is not a definition of religion, but rather a contrast to, I believe, mere acts of worship. That this is our form of worship, is that we take care of others. Widows, orphans, probably being at the top. It is our way of life because it is natural to us. It's natural. I got a heart of flesh. This is what God loves. This is important to him. If I know the heart of God, it's going to lead me to want to help them. Not because I have to. Not because it's my responsibility. James was not legalistic. He really wasn't. He's saying this is what it looks like. This is how it plays out. He taught what the law of freedom looks like. If you hear the word, the word being Jesus, and are obedient to the word, the word being Jesus, you will absolutely bear the mark of a believer. Hmm. That's totally opposite of today's definition of religion. If we claim to be Christian, we must act. No, if I'm a Christian and I know God, I will act out of obedience to the Spirit within me. The Word within me. I can act out of my own self-will, which is sin. Or I can act out of obedience to the Word, which is the Spirit. You see, James isn't such a bad letter. 
He's just saying, this is what it looks like. Sometimes you have to state the obvious. Sometimes you just got to tell it like it is. Lord, I trust you with your word. Oh, man. You are the word. And may we, as believers in this room, continue to crack open that book and see what's important to you. And may your spirit that dwells inside of us, that resides inside of us, may you teach us, may you unpack it, may we see it. And then we make a choice to be obedient to you. I trust you with those in this room and myself. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.